We'll read the same in our English Bibles. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. You know, we read Mark 2, and now Mark 3. You notice there's an increase of hostility. The Pharisees are being more and more against Jesus. Right? He's a son of man who has the authority to forgive sins. Then he reveals himself as the friend of sinners. They're even more angry. And now, and then he reveals himself as the bridegroom. He's angrier, they're angrier still. And then the Lord of the Sabbath, they're ready to kill him. So this marks a new phase in Christ's ministry. And that's where we begin today from verse 7 through 19. Let's hear God's word. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And he went, here's our text, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. So that's our focus, verses 13 through 19. And we're going to see how Jesus is now going to form a new community for his kingdom. You read verse 7. Look at verse 7. Notice how verse 7 begins. It says, but Jesus withdrew. He withdrew. So why? Why does Jesus walk away? Why does Jesus remove himself from where he was with his disciples? Well, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they didn't want Jesus. They said no to Jesus. They're rejecting him. They don't want him. They don't want the Son of Man who claims to have authority to forgive sins. They don't want the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. And now they want to kill him. You see verse 6? See where it ends? 
The Pharisees go out. Wow. Go out from where? They go out from the presence of Jesus to join hands with Satan. To join his kingdom. And they join with the Herodians. The Herodians were politicians, a political group of people. And together they make a plot against Jesus, how they might destroy him. These are the leaders of the Jewish fold. But Jesus withdrew. There is separation. That's what it is. Cooperation with them had become impossible. He withdrew, marks a sharp break between Jesus and the Judaism people. And now Jesus, he withdraws, not because he gives up, but now he's ready to bring reform. He's ready to bring or to form a new community of believers. The crowds. Who wanted him? It was the common people. The common people wanted Jesus. If you look at verses 7, 8, 9, we read there, they followed him. You know, the people that society doesn't like, the society doesn't want, they followed Jesus. It says in verse 9, they came to him, or verse 8. And where did they come from? From all over the place. From Judea, from Galilee, from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, and even from the Gentile territory, so those who were not Jews, from Tyre, from Sidon. And it even goes there, it goes on to say in verse 9 that they're pressing, they're pressing upon Jesus. They're, they're latching onto him. It's like they're pressing into the kingdom. They want him. Of course, later we're going to hear that these, some of these same multitudes want to crucify him. But at this point, they're pressing into the kingdom. They pressed about him to touch him, says verse 9. And so much so that he's asking the disciples, you know, put a boat there on the seashore so that if they are ready to pu- push me over, at least I have somewhere to stand. That's the common people. Jesus had come for the very purpose. Why did Jesus come? To give his life as a ransom for many. That really is the main point of Mark. Mark 10.45 it says there. Already now, he knows he's going to the cross. And he felt the need of appointing witnesses. He needs someone. He needs a group of people, a group of men, who will continue to do the work, his work in the kingdom. And through his own work in them, he's going to gather his church throughout the world after he dies and rises again from the dead. But he's already preparing for that now in Mark chapter 3. And so what we see in verses 13 through 19, that Jesus, through his apostles, will form a new community of believers all over the world for his kingdom. But you know what that means? 
it means they're going to have to wage war. They're going to have to wage battle against the darkness, against the evil forces in the world. That's what that means. And so what we see here, in verses 13 through 19, we first see first of all that Jesus appoints them. And then we're going to see that he sends them out. So he, he chooses them, he chooses 12 men, and then he's going to send them out. That's what we see in verses 13 through 19. Let's look at the first point, verses 13 and 14, that Jesus appoints them. Where does Jesus go? He goes for a retreat. Sometimes we love to go for a retreat. Take a break. Jesus was human. He needed a break. He went up the mountain, says verse 13, and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed twelve that they might be with him. Now notice two things here. The first thing that we see here is Jesus goes where? On the mountain. Mountain is a great place to take a break, to take a rest. And if you read Luke 6, the night before, Jesus was praying the whole night through. It's a new phase for him. The people who rejected him decided to go with Satan. And now he needs to go forward. He spends the night in prayer. And in the Bible, a mountain, if you read the Bible, a mountain is a place where usually significant events take place. Remember Moses? Where did he receive the Ten Commandments? On the mountain. Okay, where did Jesus give his sermon? On the mountain. So here he goes to the mountain. And what does he do on the mountain? He calls to himself those whom he wanted to be with him on the mountain. They come. Now, these were already followers of Jesus. There's probably many, many followers, and he wants to spend time with them. We don't know how many there were, but they were those who were believing in Jesus. And as you read that, think of those words in Exodus 24. We're reminded of Moses when he went up to the mountain with God, and he took 70 others. What were they doing? They were enjoying fellowship with God, they were eating, they were enjoying supper, and they were enjoying the presence of God on the mountain. Likewise here, think of the many people, unforgettable hours, spending, enjoying time and fellowship with Jesus. Perhaps eating, perhaps having a picnic. It's a time of rest, it's a time of retreat. Wow, privileged. <laughs> Privilege. See who Jesus calls, and it's by grace that He called them to enjoy Him, to be with Him. But you know what? We're just as privileged, even more privileged, because God also calls us up to the mountain. For what purpose? To hear Jesus, and we hear His word intimately every week again. Hebrews twelve. You have come to where? Mount Zion, the city of the living God. It's only better today than even back then. 
That's the first thing, mountain, a special place of retreat, a special place, a special place of significance with certain events. That's what's going on here. But second of all, notice of the large number of followers that Jesus calls, he selects how many men? Twelve. It says he chose them. He appointed them. I think in Punjabi it says chunia. He chose them. He chose 12 men to be his apostles. What's an apostle? This is the first time we come across the word apostle in the Gospel of Mark. Apostle means to send. It simply means sent one. One who is sent out. And these apostles were chosen by Jesus because he is going to send them out into a world that will be very much against them. But Jesus is more powerful. He's greater. And they're going to bring his message to the world that desperately needs salvation. They're being sent out. Another thing about apostles is apostle in the Bible is an eyewitness. So these were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were with Jesus while he was on earth. Next question. Okay, Jesus chose 12 out of the large crowd. Next question, why 12? Why not 10? Why not 5? Why 12? Well, we should think back to the Old Testament. When God called Abraham, he gave Abraham a very special promise. And one of those promises he gave Abraham, he says, in you, the nations will be blessed. God already had in mind that the church would be a highway for God in the world. Way back in Abraham's day already. God is preparing, God is planning. So 2,000 years before, he's planning. From Abraham, from Isaac, and then Jacob. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve. And what did they become? The twelve tribes. What were they called? Israel. They were the church of the Old Testament. How many men does Jesus choose? Twelve. And what do they become? They represent the new Israel. The New Testament Israel. Wow. The Savior has come. Remember God said to Abraham, in you all the nations shall be blessed? Jesus is the you. In Jesus, you see the promises of God come to fulfillment. The blessing of salvation is for all people. And you already see hints of that in 7 through 12, verses 7 through 12, because it's not just Jews that were coming to Jesus. There were also other peoples. People who didn't know Jesus. People who worshipped other gods. They started coming to Jesus. People from Tyre, from Sidon, Edomia, which was south. The Pharisees. They had everything. They had the Bible. They had the promises. They had God. And they said, no thank you. They did not believe. They rejected Jesus. They rejected their calling. 
God had given them a very special calling. And the big treat was Jesus fulfilled that promise. And he had planned to use them to be the highway of God into the world. They said, no. No. We don't want to be a blessing to other people. They rejected Jesus. They rejected his call. They rejected his mission. And now Jesus has withdrawn himself. He's withdrawn his grace from the Pharisees. And now he selects 12 apostles to form a new Israel. Who are these apostles? Well, they were Jews. But there was something different about these Jews. They weren't the high flutin from the religious leadership. They were very common people. Fishermen. One of them was a tax collector, a sinner. And there were others. But Jesus is going to train them. He's going to teach them. He's going to form them. And as king, he is going to send them out with the good news of his kingdom to all the peoples of the world. But it needs to happen now. And that training must begin now. Three years of training before he goes to the cross. Through the apostles, Christ will form the new Israel to bring witness to him throughout the world. The names. You see the names? Verses 16 through 19. Peter, James, and John. James and John, they were a little bit uh, annoying because they're called sons of thunder. They were, it's apparently sons of thunder means they were loud mouths, sometimes hot-tempered. So they're a little bit annoying, those apostles. But Christ chose them. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Oh, really, Mark, do you have to mention Judas? Judas went against Jesus. Yeah, but he had chosen him too. Interesting. Some of the names we know better than others. Some of them you never hear them again. But they have different personalities, different faults. James and John, hot-tempered ones. Mark even mentions the one who betrayed Jesus, Judas. The one who caused so much scandal. But you know what? Outside of Judas, all these men were faithful. In spite of all their faults, all their sins, they were faithful to the king. And the king Jesus will accomplish his purposes through them. Because his interest is that the church may grow. The community of believers may spread all throughout the world. That was Christ's whole purpose in appointing them. Twelve apostles. So that they can be sent out. They can lay the foundation of the church. Be sent out to spread the good news of Christ's kingdom. That brings us to our second and final point. He appoints them for what purpose? To send them out. Verse 14. He appointed them for two purposes. One, that they might be with him. And two, that he might send them out. Now, in order to send out, you need to be with someone. You need to be trained. When we, when we prepare for 
becoming a doctor, a medical doctor, what do we do? We need training. We need to be with doctors. Likewise here. Why should they be with him? Well, Jesus is going to train them. He's going to teach them. He's going to form them. He's going to shape them by his spirit so that they become the kind of men that he wants them to be. So that he will give the message that he wants them to bring into the world. That's why he's spending time with them. You think about a child. It's often said that a child becomes like his parents or her parents. Why? Because they spend so much time with them. The Bible says, Everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So Jesus appointed the apostles so that they might be with him. Learn from him. Be shaped by him. Be formed by him. That's what Jesus does today by the word, by his spirit. He shapes us. He forms us. He prunes us. Because he is the word. And through these apostles, he will form the new community of believers. And they will do so by his word and by his spirit. One of the wonderful things, you know, today about teaching a Bible study is that believers who learn about Christ through a Bible study, they can go to new believers and share the same things that they learned and share it with somebody who is new. Yeah, you know, a pastor may do that. Elders may do that. But so many believers. Because believers, Jesus also shapes so that they can share with new believers again. That's what we see going on here. It's a very important principle. Jesus, by his Spirit, continues to form and shape believers using other believers by his word. You notice that a part of the very practical training Jesus gave his disciples was to send them out now right away. He didn't wait till after his death and resurrection before he sent them to the world. He goes, no, I'm going to give you training now. I'm going to send you out now already. But he sends them where? To Israel. First of all, to Israel. Just Israel. Which people in Israel? Well, think about all those peoples that came to him in verses 7 through 12. All the multitudes. They need to go out to them first. And only after that, after Jesus has died and rose again from the dead, when he's been given all authority on heaven and on earth, will he then be sending out the apostles into the world once the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. If you look at verses 14 and 15, okay, he sent them out for two reasons. Okay? To do what? What did he send them out to do? First of all, to preach. And second of all, to have authority to heal and to cast out demons. To heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Wow. They're called to wage a battle against the kingdom of Satan, against the kingdom of darkness. They may lose their lives because they're preaching the king of the kingdom, the only one. And the world has a hard time tolerating that. The first charge, the first commission Jesus gave to them was to preach. 
He says, don't you preach your words. Don't you dare. You bring Christ's words. You bring my word to the peoples. The Apostle Paul, sorry, the apostles were not to preach what they think and what they feel. They were to preach what? What they have seen, what they have heard. Simply that. Simply what they have seen and what they have heard. That's what they were to preach. The kingdom is going to grow, says Jesus, but you will face opposition. You will face battles. Some will even get killed. Some, uh, most of the apostles got killed for calling sinners to repentance and for proclaiming faith in the crucified, risen Son of God as the only way by which we may be reconciled to God. It's the only way the world can be reconciled to God is through the Son. That's what they were to go and preach. That's the message. To preach Jesus, crucified and risen. There's something else. Christ also sent the apostles out to have authority to heal sicknesses and cast out demons. You know, the scriptures are called signs. And these signs were powerful that shows that Christ indeed has come. His kingdom has come. These signs confirm that Jesus truly is the king, the powerful king. The healing of sicknesses showed that. The casting out of demons showed that. The signs show that Satan's domain is being laid to waste. Satan is being reduced to nothing. The signs show that the light is stronger than the darkness. The signs show that Jesus is stronger than Satan. That's our encouragement, brothers and sisters. In the face of opposition, even as we see that increasing opposition to the Christian faith in Canada, that's encouraging. Because Christ is king. No prime minister is. No other world leader is. Christ is king. And that's the good news that the disciples had to go out with. That was their courage. That was their encouragement. Now, we should remember two things about these signs. The signs of healing and the signs of casting out demons. First of all, they were signs that belonged to the, to the apostles specifically. There are no apostles today. But these were signs belonging specifically to the apostles. If you read 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, Paul says that these were signs belonging to, this, to the apostles. They were signs of the apostles. The second thing we should realize is they were not the reality. They were signs. Right? Just like the bread in the Lord's Supper, it's, it's a sign that points to the body of Christ. Likewise, these are signs that point to something Bigger, something richer. Certainly Christ can heal today. He is able. Many times he does. But even then, we still die. But these signs are a foretaste of the glory, of the perfection that is coming, the new heaven and the new earth. Though we die, there is the promise that our bodies will be raised there will never be a sickness again. Never be a handicap again. There will never be sickness again. No aches and pains again. Never death again. That's what Jesus is showing. Signs that point to the future glory, the new heaven and earth to come. Isn't that beautiful? 
Satan has lost the battle. Through the apostles here, Christ was beginning to form the new Israel, a community of believers. And today, who is the new Israel? Believers are. The church is. By the way, the church, you could say, is the resurrected body of Christ. How is the church formed? Through the resurrection of Christ. And through the word, the church is formed. It's a supernatural thing. It's a miraculous thing. It comes from death to life. The church is also today commissioned by Christ to do what? First of all, to preach the word, God's word. And second of all, to show mercy and compassion to others in spite of opposition. Preach the Bible, preach Christ. That's the church's calling. right? The church takes the place of the apostles. And to show compassion and mercy. There's the, the healing part there. Today we no longer have apostles, but we have their word, the word of God, the complete word of God. Oh, there are so many words in the world today. That word, and this word, and that word, and people get confused and say, who's right anymore? Well, that's the problem with sin. Sin brings confusion. Sin brings many words. But there is only one word that comes with divine authority from heaven, and that's the word of God. That's the word of Christ, the King. It's the truth. It's the only truth in the whole wide world. There is not another truth out there. We're all called as believers to bear witness to this truth. It's a glorious truth. It's a truth that has conquered sin, death, and hell. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is, as Jesus says, or as John 3 says, and this is the truth, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Very clear. Satan or Christ? Kingdom of darkness or kingdom of light? That's the separation. And this is what makes the world really, really upset today. Isn't it? You guys still believe that? They mock it. They laugh at it. As in Jesus' day, the world then, and so today, they're hostile to Christ because he claims to be the Son of God. And he is. He claims to be the life. He is. That's why they killed him. Because he claimed to be God. The Son of God. And the gospel of the kingdom is two things. It's first that Jesus really died and rose again from the dead. He accomplished that. And the second thing is, this good news of the kingdom 
this healing, this forgiveness, is for those who repent of their sin and call upon Jesus as the only Savior and the only Lord. There is no other Lord. There is no other Savior. That's why Christians suffer. That's why Christians are persecuted. It's because of this message. They hated Christ. They hate his followers. Last week, I heard that in Nigeria, we heard in Nigeria, 6,000 Christians killed in the last six months because of their faith in Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us. But you know what? That's not the end. Because life continues for the believer. They can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Because life continues forever and ever to be with Jesus on even a better mountain and new body. They believe that. The world wants to win us over today. They want to tear away at our faith. They want us to not obey the word of Christ. You ever feel that inside of you? I do. That, that tug, that pull, that call of the world that says, you're so narrow-minded. You're so intolerant. Well, if I am, that's because Jesus is. And he's not intolerant. He invites the whole world. Come unto me, all you weary and heavy laden. He made himself. He gave himself for the world. But you know what? In the midst of all those tugs and pulls from the world, the calls of the world, Christ calls you. Remember, he put a stamp on you. His mark. His mark of baptism. Remember that. You belong to me. And I am going to give you the strength. I give you the strength. I can deliver you from the evil that so much calls you. I can deliver you from the power of evil. Just trust me. Believe me. At the same time, yeah, we're called to be witnesses, faithful witnesses to Christ. Courageous. Are we willing to stand? Is he number one? Is he number one? Second thing, he calls us to be agents of his mercy, love, and compassion today. The church today is to be the agent of Christ's healing. She's the highway of God to the world, really. The church, sorry, Christ's powerful signs today are seen how? In changed lives. The healed alcoholic, healed marriages, the healed mouth that no longer lies, the healed tongue that no longer speaks bad things. That's Christ. That's his work. That's the healing. The healing that brings peace, true peace. You are the connection to Christ. For so many hurting people out there, so many people who are confused, so many people who are in the darkness, they don't know where to go, you are the connection. And you know what? Christ will grow his kingdom. But that means we step out in faith 
That may mean that we endure opposition. But he will grow his kingdom through that. Watch it. It will grow through our faithfulness to him. This past week, the elders received a note from a man who's crying for help. He writes, I am a victim of supernatural forces, black magic. Wow, why do they call here? Why? Why? Because Christ is there. Because Christ lives. He's the only one to go to. Yes, evil spirits are real. No doubt. But we don't need to look for a special man. We don't need to look for a special faith healer to heal him. The Holy Spirit uses ordinary Christians like you and me. Like the disciples? The apostles? Just ordinary men. (laughs) He uses today ordinary men, women, boys, girls. And Jesus says, you bring my word to this man. If you meet somebody, you bring the word. You bring the comfort, the hope that Jesus offers. Direct him to Christ. Pray for him. And indeed, Christ is Lord over the demons. He is. And you know what? He can raise such a man, a dead man, to life. That's what the gospel does. The gospel brings dead men to life. Even a man like this. It may be that God will work in his life and he surrenders his life to Christ. He uses very ordinary people. People like you and me. It's amazing, but he does. But yeah, we have to step out. We have to risk. You can say, with the risk, we shouldn't manage our risks. No, take the risk. Of course, we don't be foolish. But we have to risk, be willing to face the opposition and watch Christ work. He will work. Wow. Like the Pharisees and the Herodians, the world today plots how it might destroy the church. But Christ has gained a victory over his enemies through his death and resurrection. Nothing, no one can stop the progress of his kingdom. The church will never be destroyed. I just picked up an article a couple days ago. Iran's war on Christianity. And it says here, the regime in Iran is stepping up its efforts to prevent the spread of Christianity within its borders. And then you turn a couple pages over, and it says, perhaps thousands are turning to Christ every day. They can't stop it. No government, no devil, no Satan can stop the progress of God's word. The Bible says that the world will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. Wow. Think about it. And that's why we need to pray for courage and strength. I'd like you to turn with me to your bulletins. You see this question and answer? If we can confess that together. It's a confession of faith. It's a confession of our hope. 
And every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Your kingdom come. It has come, but there's still more coming. Let's read the answer together. What does the second request mean? Your kingdom come means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Keep your church strong. Add to it. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you. Every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. Be assured that this will happen. How do we know? Because Christ says so. The Bible says so. Amen.